Good morning, church. Oh, goodness. I'm going to get down without knocking a stand over. Oh, my. Happy Sunday. Looks like it's another beautiful summer day in October. It'll be 80 degrees today or something. I was enjoying the fall weather for a minute. Thanks for your patience if you're watching online. I think everything's probably sorted out now, but sometimes everything uh, just doesn't go the way you expect it to at the last minute. We usually get about 15 minutes between small group, and it's incredible how many things can go haywire in 15 minutes' time. But here we are, finishing up 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. If you are part of this series, we've gone through all of 1 Peter and then right into the, the second letter of Peter. And we slowed down a bit when we hit 2 Peter. Um, you know, we were doing entire chapters at a time, but 2 Peter starts off with pretty meaty stuff. So if you're like, man, three weeks on the first and second letters of, uh, the, on three weeks on the first chapter of the second letter of Peter, it seems a little heavy handed. Um, uh, I, I think you'll find as we've talked through these three things that there's a lot to unpack in why Peter chose to write a second letter and the entire purpose behind it, obviously in contrast or comparison to his first letter. And today is the end of chapter 1, but it feels like the end of a sequence that Peter's talking about to me, and we'll get into some of that. So if you've got your Bibles, great. We'll be finishing up 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1 today. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible, and feel free to uh, read along. Therefore, I intend to always remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off on my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to, at, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation." For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Pray with me, please. Lord, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for the power therein. Lord, I am so thankful that uh, your capabilities and your capacity and your power to change lives has nothing to do with me. I am so thankful that your word is preeminent, it is powerful. It is completely sufficient. And Lord, as we today focus on remembering your coming, and Lord, we pray it is soon. As we remember that, Lord, that it doesn't serve for us to throw our hands in the air and have a carefree attitude, but to know that the work that we have to do is serious. It has got a, an end date that may be well after we're off of this earth, Lord, but it may be here in 15 seconds. Help us to approach the work that we do for you, for your glory, with that in mind, Lord. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Okay. Closing chapter one. So might cover these first two parts, but we'll sum this up a little bit to kind of capstone this. Is we remember that Christ will take care of us. So we talk about being sustained by Christ, 
This is a promise. We won't be abandoned. We won't be left alone. We don't have to do it ourselves. We don't have every day to pick up and try to bootstrap and figure it all out. Second, we remember in the second part of this chapter that Christ has We didn't fill out our paperwork and get all of it filled out properly, so I guess we're in by default. There's no works that we earn. Christ called us. Christ will sustain us. And then lastly, we're going to remember that there's more to come. Christ will come again. We will dwell with him in eternity. This world here is not our final stop. It's easy with all the stuff that's going on, the immense joy that happens in this world. There's, and believe me, there's a lot of it, a lot of things to be very, very happy about. We've had a, had a big weekend filled with a lot of joy so far. Emma's in band. They had their finals yesterday. They had a great show, the best show of the year. I was very, very happy. But in comparison to eternity, it's nothing. That's our mindset. This is not here. Easy to remember this is not our final stop and things are rough and we're tired of this world. When we're sick and tired of the garbage that keeps coming our way, it feels like. But what Peter's calling us to here is, it doesn't matter what's happening here. No, remember what comes next. I like that Peter starts with, I'm always reminding you. <laughs> it kind of sounds like something I heard a lot growing up about, you know, you'd forget your head if it wasn't attached. Well, that's the sort of it. You forget where your heart is going if it wasn't attached, and it needs to be attached to the Word. This isn't just Peter nagging. He's not just trying to, like, rib them. You know, you fools, why don't you remember? But th- what he's really doing is deprecating his own authority. Now, we don't talk about this very often, because in our church, I hope you know that my authority is 100%. I have no authority other than, than what I, and when I stand in this pulpit and I speak with any authority, it is of God that all authority comes, not of me. It's not my rank and file, my time spent here that earns me anything. There's no secret knowledge that I have. Peter's saying the same thing. It's not about him. He is not asserting this. These aren't wise ideas that Peter and some of his cohorts came up with. Clever new ways to view uh, eternity. He's reminding us that Christ taught this. Everything that he is trying to remind them of came from Jesus. It's in the word of God. Jesus cited the Old Testament a lot. Peter knows this is true. This is real. What he said goes. It's not what I say. It's not what I've seen or done. It's what Christ said. Now we know that Peter's letter here is part of scripture. So what Peter is asserting, we know and believe fully God has asserted this through him. But Peter's saying, even though I've wrote, written it, which is hilarious, he's basically saying the word of God was written by God through men. He's talking about himself here without, I think, even necessarily knowing it. He is, is, he is, he is, he is putting himself aside as God is writing his word through him. If that doesn't serve to remind us of where we rank and what Christ is up to, how big and awesome God is in his plan, I don't know what would. Peter kind of has this as long as I'm around attitude here. I mean, he, 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 it's right into this, you know, as long as I'm here, but I know, verse 14, since I know the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Don't know exactly how Christ made clear to him that his body would be put off soon. It doesn't really matter. But he's not being negative. It sounds a little bit negative, but he isn't wrong. I will be putting off my body soon. Well, what's soon? Five years, 10 years? I don't know. Could it be in 15 seconds? Yes. Could I have a, a coronary or a embolism right now and fall, drop dead? Yes. Yes, I could. What does that change? That's the question. Time is short. 
If you knew it was 30 seconds from now, what would you do different? What if you knew it was 30 days? What about 30 years? Anything you'd change? I've got time. I don't have time. What's important? There's the old adage, right, that I've heard my whole life, which no one on their deathbed ever said, I just wish I could go into work one more day. (laughs) The joke's always, where's my family? You know, I wish I would have taken more time to spend with the people that I loved or doing the work that I know is most important, not the trivia, not the little stuff that I wasted so much of my life on thinking it was getting to something important. If we don't believe that, if we say that and believe that anything other than Christ's imminent return, meaning he could come back at any second, if we think other than that, that's folly on our part. Folly for us because we think we've got time. Now, we may have time. But we shouldn't act like or, 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 or rely on time that we are not guaranteed. Peter is not doing that. He wants to maximize his impact. While he's here, while he's on this earth, he is going to do the most he can for Christ. And it's going to cost him a lot. And of course, Peter, as we know, an apostle, we're reading his letters, he's part of Scripture. But this isn't because Peter, it's because God. If there's anything that Peter did that warranted this, I would say, it was after he was saved and became completely convicted that the word is true, God is real, work needs to be done, and he committed himself to it, and lo and behold, we now have glorious words of God through Peter because of his willingness to serve. Fundamentally, Peter wants words that will outlast him. There's a uh, hip-hop artist named Shailen who asserts this same thing. He's, uh, anyway, he's a, a Christian artist, but he writes these really deep theological songs, and it wraps through the whole thing, and it's, it's excellent. But this is one of his statements, is, I want to do things that will outlast me. If I could do something that gets committed to a place where people, long after I'm gone, can draw truth from it, great, I'll do that. Luckily for us, Peter got what he wanted. <laughs> he's talking about wanting words that outlast him. We've got some. We're studying from it today. We'll be talking about it for a few weeks here. But Peter knows that his time will expire, but these words may stand the test of time. It's a real interesting thought that did Peter know that what he was writing was the Word of God? Did he know that this was divine? I would say based on what we're reading, no, he did not. He was just being faithful. He was saying, this needs to be said. This is true. I feel in my spirit the need to say it to you, and I'm going to do it. It's drawn on what I understand about the Old Testament, what Christ taught. I'm reiterating it. This is my understanding of the truth of God. And the truth is, God's right. I'm wrong. I'm doing my best. Made right only through God. Same for you. Let's not forget that. He knows that he will be allowed to do God's work even when he is back to dust, as long as he is able to do something that is bigger than him. If he sits on a street corner and if he spends time in conversation, but he never makes a commitment, if he never puts it down on paper, if he never takes his explanations and codifies them, if you will, that once he's gone, it's gone with him. His knowledge has passed away. Now, we know that through word of mouth, things like that can live for a long time, but lucky for us, Peter put it down on paper. He wanted those words that last him, and a good way to do it is to put it down. Now, many of you, if you're like me, think, well, I don't really have anything to say. I mean, I could, I could go on a tangent or whatever, and I don't really want to put it down on paper. I'm not saying that we have called to write things down to become canon, that the canon is closed, that is all good and, and fine. But when we think about manners in which we can share the truth, we want to share those in ways that can live longer than us. 
Invest in people, invest in time, put, put things down in paper, on the internet, in video, whatever it takes, so that maybe after I'm gone, somebody in a moment of despair that misses me will come and listen to the truth of God. You can bet when Peter passed away, people found comfort reading these letters, hearing from Peter. They could maybe hear him speak it if they knew him. That's comforting. But the truth is what saves them, the truth that is, is contained in the letter. Which Peter is saying, don't listen to what I had to say. I know you guys miss me, but there'll come a day when we'll get to see each other again. But until then, don't forget your job. Peter's reminding us here that this is very, this is very serious. It may, it may sound trite that these are not cleverly devised myths. These aren't just random words that he's choosing. These are words that I'm sure he's heard specifically brought up. Oh, this is all very clever. You've made all this up, but it's clever the way that you did it so that you could get away with this and take everybody's money and stuff like that, right? He said, they saw Christ doing this and witnessed his power. This is Peter saying this. That said, his word is the true power, and we have that today. Anybody ever said something like, I'll tell you right now, I've done this before. I just wish I could hear what to do from God directly. Just briefly, a conversation. Now, we never really say that about like, should I serve God? Like, nobody argues that. It's like, I want to buy, there's two cars. Which one matters the most? Or what's the choice? God knows what I should do, and I wish he would tell me. A lot of times we want to apply that to kind of what Peter's going through here, but that's, it's not the same. This isn't trivium. This isn't little tiny things. This is big, life-impacting stuff. This is service of God business. And, and Peter's saying, I was there. I saw Christ. I heard from him. I watched him do the miracles. And you know what that means for me? Nothing compared to what the word contains. It's all in the word. I'm not going to prophesy anything above and beyond what's already contained in God's word. When Christ was here, it was the word come to life. I see that now. You need to know that. Experience, while beneficial, hearing the, prophecy, hearing the prophecy is fantastic. We're blessed by it. It's part of the word. But we can refresh our minds with truth any time. We do not have to rely on an actual witness to an event. You don't need to keep coming back to me or to, to Linda because we saw something that was incredible. And, and, and in that, in that the, the thing that we saw comes a knowledge of God that only we have. That's what Peter's saying. Peter knows nothing special to Peter. It's the truth that God has revealed to all. And he's saying all this is foretold. Don't take Peter's word for it if you're a fan of reading uh, Rainbow or whatever back in the day, right? Peter's saying all the prophecies, everything that Christ did, when you dive into this and Peter's mind is opened up and he's trying to communicate to this, all this is in the Old Testament. All of it's been prophesied. Christ's work, his suffering, it was all exactly as it was supposed to be. This, isn't, this is something new, yes, but it's not a surprise to God, and it shouldn't have been a surprise to believers. The Scripture has it all there, and you don't need anyone else to make it known. There's a common thing that was happening at Peter's time, and it's happening now as well, and that is that the Bible contains knowledge that is so tricky so secretive or elusive that you're going to need an expert. You're going to need a theologian. You require a teacher, a human being to decipher what is in the word. 
this manifests itself in extreme versions of things like Bible codes, where every seventh letter spells out prophecies. That's bunk. It's nonsense. You can find anything you want in any amount of letters. As somebody that works with computers and data and the, the, the statistics and stochastics of that, you can take any data set and make it whatever you want, as long as you're willing to be reasonably flexible with the way in which you measure it. What Peter's saying here is, yeah, we should get together. We should study. We should talk about things. There will be some concepts in the Bible that take more time to grasp than others. But the Bible does not require a man to teach it. It is clear in and of itself. I've mentioned this before, but there's like a a doctrine called the doctrine of perspicuity. Great $10 word, but basically means the Bible is clear in and of itself. Now, if you've ever read the Bible, and I'll be the first to admit, sometimes it's like, well, it could have fooled me. I mean, I'm all over the place with the these and the thous and these lineages. Am I supposed to understand all that? And it's supposed to make good sense right away? Romans, holy moly. This is, this is so deep and so intrinsically confusing. I, I'm not saying it's going to be imminently clear in its entirety in one reading. God doesn't promise us that. But the Holy Spirit will divine for us what we require from the Word when God chooses to do so. In Peter's time, you had people that, that had hid this away. And this was after Peter's time too, right? They hid the word away. It's too, it's too complex for you guys. Let's distill it down. We'll, we'll make it a little bit more simple. And you can bet, just like in today's world, when we say that, what we're really saying is, I'll tell you what the truth of it is. Maybe I'll add in a little bit here and there to benefit me or my congregation or my church or what have you. But fundamentally, Jesus is Lord as long as you keep giving money, right? That sort of nonsense. People are like, oh, okay, got it. Well, if that's what you say is in there, right? It's like, well, it's hard to read. and Most people aren't literate, so you just have to take my word for it. Peter's saying, don't take my word for it. This is in the Old Testament. What I'm writing you here in this letter, of course, the, the hilarity of this letter is Peter's saying, hey, listen, my, it's my words nothing compared to what God's words are. And God said, your words have been promoted to my words. And Peter's like, oh, okay, great. Then these are God's words, right? But what we see here isn't a vast departure, this is, this is the Word telling you that the Word is imminent. It's in charge. Christ is coming soon, and remember that. So why do we bother? Why do we even care? Okay, the Word's imminent, Christ came back. And this is where we see Peter trying to break it down. You do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. If you have a dark place, and you know that something is in there, but you can't see it, how easy is it going to be to action that? For instance, I'm sure if everybody here has a closet or maybe a bedroom or a closet in a bedroom, and you know there's some things in that closet, and you're going to go into that closet and retrieve them. Let's say it's a board game. What do we tend to do when we go to do that? Does anybody ever just say, I don't need to turn the lights on. It's my closet. It's my house. I know what's going on. Walk in there in the dark. Grab it. Take it down. Boom. First straight away. I never do that. Now, maybe somebody here knows it that well, but what we do is we walk into the room, we turn the light on, then we walk to the closet, we turn the light on. We find the board game we want, we pull it down, we play the game. As we leave, we probably turn the lights off because we, you know, what about the light bill, right? I get get all that. But the reality is, what he's saying here is, is even with the things that we know of God, if we leave this in the dark, if it sits in a dark place, then it is knowledge that is unlit, and it is going to be difficult for us to get to it when we need it. Now, this isn't a perfect example, and I'm sure people that are like philosophers or high-minded theologians are going to say, well, that's not true. God doesn't require our lighting. We don't have to turn switches on for him. That's not my point. My point is, when I participate in knowledge, I want to turn the lights on as much as I can. 
I think it's a fool that walks into a dark room to find something that's very specific and then leaves the room saying, I can't find it. I guess it's not in there. But you know it's in there. Or you don't. Do you believe it's in the room? Why didn't you turn a line? I'm like, I don't have time. I don't want to do it. Uh, the reality is I don't really want it. That's where we spend a lot of our time. Peter's saying, knock that off. You want to know the truth? You want access to this knowledge? You want God to change your life? You want to be busy for Christ? You want to be confident, assured of salvation and all these peace parts? Keep the lights on. And what's the light? The Word of God. The Scripture here is to, you, you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Bring the Word to bear, and the Word will illumine itself, and you'll be, able to, you'll be able to find the things that you need because in this world of the Bible, the closet is God's closet, and everything's in there that we need, and all we have to do is walk into the room, and the Bible lights itself up. It's far less taxing than finding something in our own homes, which I understand could be a nightmare. I have a hard time finding things in my house. It's not a problem in the Word. We cannot see what we should see without the Word of God. It will look like darkness. When we take this idea and we find knowledge in the Scripture, then we say, well, what about this relationship? It's kind of dark. I don't know what to do there. What's the Word say? I'm not going to see in God's Word. In the year 2022, Chris Heacock will be interacting with somebody, must do these, oh, what a wonderful thing. That's not going to be there. But you're going to see some fundamentals that, lo and behold, you will be able to apply. What is love? I love this person. Yeah, well, it's patient and kind and forgiving. I understand. I'm struggling with those. Then pray about that. How do I get more understanding? How do I get more forgiving? I'm tired of bearing this weight. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. Yeah, well, guess who else is probably tired? Christ in the garden. But he prayed for God's will. What's God's will in this? Round and round and round we go. I'm having trouble making sense of this. I meet up with my church. All this bathed in prayer. And, and things start to be a little bit different. We keep a perspective. And Peter knows they're going to struggle with the same stuff that we are. But we keep doing it until Christ returns. You don't hear me say that very much. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repent of that. And hold me accountable to this. I'm going to start saying this more until, until I'm dead. I tend to say, I'm going to keep doing it until I shuffle off this mortal coil. I'll keep doing this until I'm pushing up daisies. Right? That's what I say. But what Peter says is, we're going to keep doing this until Christ comes back. Now, there's something about that that I find extraordinary, which is Peter saying, this is, I mean, Christ is any minute now. Yeah, I could die too, but who cares about me dying? <laughs> the timeline's not my death. The timeline is when Christ returns. That's when the show's over. When I die, there's still work to be done. I'm going to keep doing it until I die, but if I do it right, if I instill properly, if I do the work the best I can do, my work may well outlive me. Let's take it for example, Peter. But you know what my work is not going to outlive? Christ's return. All the recordings and books and everything else when this world is incinerated and new heaven and earth are created, they're gone. We don't need them anyway, right? The Word of God lives forever. So I'm going to keep doing whatever I'm doing until Christ returns. And the Word reminds and guarantees us this will come to pass. This will come to pass. Christ will come back. We sing a song, uh, um, it's kind of a question and answer thing, but one of the things is do, one of the things they say that I just love is, does our God intend to dwell again with us? Yes, he does. I'll tell you, church, that shakes me to my core. This is God's intention. It's not mine. I want to go to heaven. But God intends to dwell with us. He's not putting up with us. We're not remembering that like, well, I guess if they're going to be here, I'll put up. No, no, no. God intends for that. 
Christ will come back. The world will be redeemed. Every knee shall bow. A new heaven, a new earth, and away we go. The prophecy of Scripture is enough. Peter was a witness, as I said, and that's valuable. Make no mistake, when you see something that is awesome, that's great. People love to hear about it, right? Oh, I saw this. Tell me about it. Oh, that's so cool, right? I was over here talking to somebody. Mike shares, we barely spoke the language, but somehow, after 20 minutes, I was able to share the gospel in Spanish, even though I don't speak Spanish. That's a miracle. Will that story save somebody? No, it will not. It may draw them in to have a conversation to lead them to the Word and the truth of God. The truth of Scripture will save them as the Holy Spirit works in their heart. So I'm not saying witnessing is terrible. Neither is Peter. But it does not replace Scripture. Its value comes from being in the Word of God. Here what we see is Peter's witness to all this. Christ's works are in the Word. Peter's saying, I saw those works. That's in the Word. That's the, the validity that comes from that. What we don't need are new witnesses for prophecy to be fulfilled. We don't require this anymore. We're going to see things that are extraordinary. Works of God. Awesome. Uh, and we should be enthralled with that and moved and share it. But be very, very clear that this isn't a prophecy. Right? I had, a, I had an inkling that, you know, I, we joke about this. I woke up and the clock said 747 and I had a flight. So I didn't take it because it was a sign. No, that's not the kind of prophecy we need to be sharing. The fact that the time matched on the model of plane, and I didn't fly because it meant, like, uh, no. God is not going to do that sort of thing where there's a hidden code in a prophecy for you to decode. It makes no sense. But with the witnesses we share are not secret prophecies. When you see something amazing happen in someone's life, something transformative because of what God did and we share the glory of God, we're fulfilling prophecy. We're not sharing new prophecy. This isn't a secret recipe to get saved. It's confirmation that God's still alive and working. And when Christ's work was done, it was well and truly finished. There is no more suffering required. There's no more penance to pay. Any prophet, any, I don't know, soothsayer, teacher that, that tells you it's not done, it's not done, believer, you will require works. Faith without works is dead, which means you've got to be working to keep your faith alive. They got that the wrong way around. It is finished. Yes, faith without works is dead. That's in the Word. But the indicator there is that we don't, we, we, we don't earn better faith. We don't sustain our faith by doing works. A sustained faith produces works. Right? If I were to tell you a tree without fruit is dead, you wouldn't say to yourself, well, you know what that means? That, we just need to go tape some fruit on that tree. That'll bring it back to life. I mean, it's rotten and limbs are breaking, but I've put fruit on it. <laughs> Look at the apples. That's the tree is alive. You'd say, what a waste of time to take fruit to a dead tree. The fruit doesn't make the tree live, idiot. The tree's life bears the fruit. Now, when we read a scripture like that and we see what it's, it's a clear <laughs> faith that works is dead, he's talking about bearing fruit. But no, 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 no. Let's back it in. It's cool. We'll tie the fruit. If I go out here to the building next door and we tape some bananas to it, it's a banana tree. <clears throat> it is not. It is a building with bananas taped to it. It's never going to bear fruit. It's a building. So when we talk about this and we talk about prophecies and we talk about why we're bothering to remember any of this, Peter is wanting us to know 
Stop waiting for another prophecy. Stop waiting for a new witness. There's nothing required. Christ could come right now, and everything's ready. Everything's ready. Before you walk out that door, Christ could return. There's no other prophecies that need to be fulfilled. We're not waiting for another person to come and testify. Well, in Revelation, there's these witnesses here, there, and otherwise. There may well be, but it's not required for Christ's return. The prophecy that is in Scripture is of God. Men wrote it and phrased it and such. Don't get me wrong, right? When we read these things, we we see the way that Paul says things and the way Peter says things and Luke and all these guys, they speak in different ways. But the divine knowledge is 100% God alone. And Peter is letting us know that. No man is above the word. No man. There is nobody that can stand over God's word and, 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 and shed new light or bring additional power to it. All man can do from God's word is rob it by miscommunicating it. Now, God's word can power its way through that. But if you look at the world around us, if, if people don't get into the word themselves, then you let somebody else distill it for you, and that person has bad intentions, you're in a heap of trouble. Now, the person that's doing that is in a bigger heap of trouble. Don't get me wrong. But by all means, get into the word. Let the word prove it out. The prophecy of scripture is of God. It's not of man. These guys wrote it, but we see Peter saying here himself, it's not me, it's not me, right? The scripture is great. Mankind is mediocre. If there's anything good, it comes from God. The way that he says it's better, uh, better than I would ever say it. But 2 Peter 1.21, for no, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is Peter. This isn't me. If I said, I'd be like, well, not all men, but this is Peter saying it about his own words that are part of the scripture. Is this here because Peter was very eloquent? No, it's here because God carried him along by the Holy Spirit. And I like this notion of carrying along. We've talked about this before. As in, there are some religions that are based off like a trance. Someone snapped into it and their eyes rolled back in their head. And they began dictating, write that down. Oh my gosh, it means something. That's real. Not us. This is not our religion. Our word, the word of God, the word that we study, was written down by men. But the men here are basically saying to us unequivocally, if it's the, the, the Holy Scripture comes from God carrying us along, his hand put it down, well, it was his will to write it. Huh? Peter's saying, no, it wasn't. The Holy Spirit didn't control him. He was there. He was engaged. He knew what he was writing. It was his handwriting. It was his thoughts, but the thoughts and the ability to write and the musculature and all that is from God. We do well to remember that. The final four. Let's talk about these four reasons we remember. Remembering sustains our godliness. Remembering stimulates our passion. Remembering strengthens our readiness. And remembering solidifies our sources. Solidifies our sources. But you can't wait for point four. What's he going to say? Anyway. Sustains our godliness. So this one's pretty, I think, well, it should be pretty clear, right? We strive to live and love like God. We want to be godly. I'm, nearly everybody that's sitting here today hearing these words probably desire that, right? I want to be less me and more God. Remembering what is going to happen keeps that perspective really easy. To, it makes it easier, rather, to keep in check. I may want to commit some sins and play this game and do the world's things, but there's going to come a day, and it might be in 15 seconds when Christ comes back, 
And that's a little bit more important. I got work to do. I got to get myself out of these doldrums. I got to stop making these bad choices because there's something great coming and I want to be ready for that. I want to be as pure as I can be because that's going to give me the biggest impact in the world. When people hear me say to do something and they see me doing it, they're going to be more likely to believe me. Are we going to do it every time and not fail? No, we will sin. But through that forgiveness and understanding of what all that means, we find ourselves no longer being a slave to sin. We can trust that even our worst will be past soon enough. Church, if you don't think, if you know who Jesus is and you don't think that your worst can ever be put behind you, reach out and let us know because you have missed a wonderful promise. Your worst has been put as far away from you as the east is from the west. How far is that? No man can measure it. I'll tell you that much. It is no longer in sight. When God looks at you, he does not see anything but his son's blood. We can trust that we are forgiven. And we can trust that there will soon be no more sin. Now I tell you, you talk about warm fuzzies. If there's one thing I hate, it is sin. I hate it in me. I hate the, my participation in it. I feel like garbage when I sin and I know it. And there, there'll be a day when there's no death, no suffering, no sin. I cannot wait. And I want to I have a taste of that now. I want more of that now. And remembering that that's coming makes it a little bit easier now to remain steadfast and try to stay the course with God's help as best I can. Second, remembering stimulates our passion. Anybody ever remembered something fun after a long day? Like you've had a really long taxing day and you're just like, you're done and you're so tired and you're so fatigued, but then you remember something good's happening. Like we're going to a movie or we're going to do a visit, or maybe a package came from Amazon, or whatever, right? Like, oh, I forgot that thing came. You ever have a moment like that, where it's like, oh, yeah, 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 that was terrible. But this, there's a bright, shining moment where I kind of forgot about all that. This is how heaven should be for us during duress. Like, when we are in, up against that, and we're feeling like we're being just rung through the ringer, <clears throat> and another day feels like another millennia of trying to put up with this place, Knowing that there is going to be a time when we are able to dwell with Christ should fire us up. We should be able to cheer up and share the good news of our hope. Now, this isn't a fake cheer up. This isn't a put on a happy face. But this is joy welling up inside of us, knowing the truth, able to overcome this world's darkness. This is not easy, and this is not every hour of every day. And, you know, I'm not talking about uh, how this person has, they're sad. Well, they must not understand that heaven's coming. No, 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 no. Jesus wept too. But there is something here about stimulating our passion. When we get fired up for what's coming, it does help us get over. Just like when you realize that package came in that brief moment, like, oh boy, that's exciting. When we get to this place, what we want is to think like, but one day it's not going to matter. Everything's coming apart right now. Everybody I love is dying. They're all sick, lost my job, whatever. But there's going to come a day when nobody dies. No one's going to lose their job. The church family's never going to be shook up. We're not going to have to put up with any of that garbage ever again. And I am fired up about that. That's exciting to me. But not just because it's going to happen, but because it reminds me that there's more to come and I got work to do. It's great to be fired up for heaven, even if it feels far off. And church, I'll confess, it does. When I talked before about not wanting to say before I die, but before Christ comes, it's because in my mind, heaven is when I die, and when I die, is far away. 
But heaven could be literally in 30 seconds. Like, boop. Like, boop. Right then it could have happened. It didn't, but it could have. Know that. And when I think about that, when I think about the imminence of heaven, it does fire me up a little bit, but I just don't want to do that very often. My brain doesn't want to bother with that. No, no, we got the concerns of the world. I'm not saying I don't pay your bills because oh, Christ will come back for the mortgages due. That's not what I'm saying. We have to do the things of this world, but our mindset, our eternal perspective should be remembering that when heaven is here, yeah, this gives me the fire to keep going. Remembering strengthens our readiness. When we remember, we reprioritize. And, uh, not to bring up mortgages, right? But like if the mortgage payment is due and you suddenly remember, anybody ever that moment? Did I pay the, did we turn the stove off? Everything changes when you remember something that could be catastrophic. It's easy to get distracted and live for the world today. Super easy to not prioritize this because it feels like I've got all the time in the world to tell people about Christ and get to church and do all these things I want to do for myself and my Lord. Plenty of time for that. But this concert, you know, this is their final farewell, farewell tour, so I got to miss that. And I only get a few years with my kids to play sports, so that gets prioritized. And pretty soon, it's been 25 years, I haven't spent any time with God at all. I'm isolated and alone. Everything that I invested all those years in is gone. And I turn to God, who I've ignored, and say, God, why me? <laughs> I read footprints. I thought you were going to carry me. Yeah, God will carry you, right? But if you're, if you're wriggling out of his arms the whole time and you don't want to even be on the beach because I want to go over there at the football field, then that's where he's going to let you go. But you can't complain that, like, I didn't even get a walk on the beach. There's plenty of time. If we remember this and we stay ready, we keep our priorities in order. We, we're able to put those distractions away. Like I said, do we have to raise our kids? Do we have to go to events? Yes. Will we find joy in them? Yes. Will it be fun? Yes. But when we remember that time is short, we want to be ready. What are we missing? If anybody here has ever gone through the birth of a child, there's this notion of having like a ready bag. Uh, they talk about this a lot with like, you know, preppers, end time preppers or whatever. But with pregnancy, it's the same drill. There's some overnight clothes, maybe some magazines or whatever. But if it's happening, that bag's ready. That bag's ready to go. Why do we do that? Oh, there could be time. There could be a nice, long, slow, uh, peaceful run up to labor, and then easy peasy, we'd get to pack our things and stroll and have a baby. <laughs> or it could be sudden cramp, tremendous amount of blood, ambulance comes, baby's born. I don't know. Why don't we err on the side of what if it's more of an emergency than I think it is? Let's be ready. That's all that we're saying here, church. When we remember that Christ's coming is imminent and we remind ourselves of that, well, then what do I need to get in order before he gets back? What am I needing to do? What is the top priority knowing that Christ could come in 40 seconds? Is there somebody that's been nagging at me? I need to talk to him about it. I just haven't got around to it. But what if he comes tomorrow? I better give him a call. I better shoot him a letter. I better do the work of Christ. I better reach out and do the Great Commission. I know it to be true. I'm fighting myself on this. I'm not going to do it. We will focus on what's important and set aside the nonsense. And I'm not saying that everything is nonsense, but there's, I don't know about everyone else's life, but there's plenty of nonsense in mine. Put on a TV show, have a few laughs, completely mindless entertainment, whatever. Read, go on social media, scroll around for what seems like 30 minutes, turns out to be two hours of completely vapid, wasted time, reading stuff that has no value to me, sharing nothing, and then wondering why I don't feel fulfilled and, you know, why I feel like I'm in a dark place and... I just can't get anywhere. And God, why? <laughs> remembering strengthens our readiness. Let us be ready, church. And finally, remembering solidifies our sources. And this is the capstone. If we remember that's true, 
and we know that Christ is imminent, that will likely have us question our understanding. If anybody stands in front of you and says, the moment I was saved, I have never had a single doubt or reservation about anything. It's all been perfectly clear to me, and I knew I was in God's palm the whole time, never once an ounce of doubt or fear. I'd call them, to their face, a liar. (laughs) I will. I don't care what they say. There will be moments where you will wonder if what God has called you to do, at the very least, if what God has called you to do is something you even want to do. I don't think I want to do that. You're telling me to go. And you're going to say, well, not me. Not me. Well, then you're better than Jesus. Because in the garden, he said, I don't want to do this, but I will if I must. That was Christ didn't want to do it. He knew what was going to happen, and he didn't want to do it. Your death will save all of my creation. I don't want to. I don't want to, but I will if that's what you'll have me do, Dad. Don't fall for this. Well, I have doubts, so I'm falling away. No. Back to the word. Solidify your sources. It means knowing what our beliefs are and where they come from. That doubt, just turn it right back on its head. I'll show you doubt. Here's why. I forgot. That's right. That's right. I remembered. But what do we remember from? Are we living for false teaching? Well, I was told that if I, did, if I eat eight pomegranates a day that I get to go to heaven. <clears throat> false. If that's what you believe and you skip a day of pomegranates, oh my gosh. What is it? I said the prayer when I was 11, but I didn't say salvation right. I mispronounced it. Oh no, am I safe? Oh, bunk. Bunk. The word of God does not rely on proper pronunciation. Salvation is not based on this. It's not works. If your source is not the word of God, if what I'm saying to you sounds foreign and strange, please reach out. Is a false teaching? Is it backwards prophecy? Is it man-centered desires? Do I want to be rich, not saved? These are all problems. May it never be. May it never be. God's word through his Holy Spirit must be our source. As we remember Christ's coming and we get that brief moment of panic that maybe I'm not ready, but then we get ready. And as we're getting ready, we're getting passionate because it's happening. And then when we try to go back, we're, we're looking at the sources and making sure that I've got all the good data here and am I, I need some help. Is this the right book? I found this at, at, a, at a, uh, a bookstore. I have a Mormon friend and they said that this is as good as any other part of God's word. What does that mean? Let's talk about that. We can help with that sort of thing. The church is here to help guide and steer and make sure that what we're studying is true and right. Solidify our sources. So what about us? Number one, do you believe that Jesus is your Savior? Do we believe that he's our Savior? If no, today's the day. I got good news. Today's the day. If thinking about Christ coming back does nothing for you but terror, fix that today. I'm not saying you give your life to Christ today. I wish you would, but I understand. Maybe you just want to learn more. Let's talk. Come join us. Small groups, Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings. If you show up, you got questions. Well, I, don't, I won't say we got answers, but we got a book that does. <laughs> and we believe in a God that does. If you do, though, do we believe his word is truth? I'm talking the whole thing, every bit of it. The good, the bad, and what we might perceive as the ugly. The stuff that doesn't sit well with us. If not, come talk to us. We believe the Bible is true. The stuff that's the, 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 the tough pills to swallow in there, maybe tough to swallow, but it's good medicine. If that's true, though, do we believe that he is coming back soon? And this is where most believers might start to go, oh, sure, sure, I do, but not really. I mean, I, mean, I say that, but I don't really think he's going to come back like today. Is it, there's something about Zion needs to be rebuilt or all this stuff. I've heard this as long as I can, be, as long as I can remember. No, he can come back right now. If you don't believe that, we'd love to talk about that. But if you do, 
believe that too. So you believe he's your savior, you believe God's word is true, and you believe he could come back soon, then what are we doing to fulfill the Great Commission? And the Great Commission is to share the truth of Christ to the entire world. Another tough pill to swallow is the Great Commission is not to gather in your church and lift praise. We're supposed to do it. We're supposed to do that. We should worship our God and praise his name. But it's not the Great Commission. It's not the, the, the prime directive of our church. Our goal is to share the good news of Christ. And I pray, Lord, I pray, church, as we move into this, that the Lord will start to change our attitudes. As we remember that Christ's coming is imminent, it could be any second, that we'll, we'll be stirred to take action sooner rather than later. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I thank you for the group that has gathered here, Lord. I'm thankful for my church family. And uh, Lord, when we read this and we we study this and we think of all the turmoil that's going on in the world around us, even in our church body and our families and all this, Lord, I pray that we could take these words that Peter wrote down, that Peter already glorified you through as he wrote them by giving you all the credit, Lord, and we study them today as your word, that we take those to heart. And that when we see people that are struggling and we see situations that could be addressed, Lord, that we don't put all that stuff off. If it's of God, if it's work we could do to further the kingdom, Lord, that we take that seriously today. If we believe in your word and we believe that you are our savior, then we have a calling and that calling is going to transcend our fear and doubt. And Lord, we're going to pray and trust you're going to take our fear and our doubt and our, our, our unwillingness to serve, Lord, and you're going to turn that on its head and do something extraordinary in a way that we can only ever give you credit because we know within us was not the capacity to do that. I'm thankful for that, Lord. And I pray for myself that I am emptied and you fill me up and give me strength and power to do your work to, to the best of my abilities, Lord, to the abilities that you've given me. We take so much for granted and think we've done so much, Lord, but uh, you knew me before I was knitted together in my mother's womb. And as I stand here today, all the growth and the the anatomy and the physiology is all by your handiwork, Lord. I've done nothing except by which, that by which you have given me the ability to do it, Lord. Help us to remember that and commit ourselves to you anew today. It's in your sons and I pray. Amen.